Good morning, New Hope. It is good to see you, and again, it is awesome, Glenn and Kalia. You are at the sharp end of the stick, as are each of you tomorrow. This week, before we even start this message today, I just want to pray. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing through each, each of your people here who are committed to you. And I thank you that new people are hearing about the incredibly good news that you have given us. I pray today that your spirit would speak clearly to each of us in a way that only you can do. Apply your words to us, prompt us, convict us, motivate us, and encourage us, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. So I'm on a bus. I'm sitting there, and as I look out the window, there's this guy with iridescent green hair with bobbles all over it and I'm sitting there not even wanting to have eye contact with the guy who's lining up and as I'm sitting there I sense the Holy Spirit say to me I want you to share with that guy I go whoa ha could you have chosen a nicer guy Lord this guy was far out so I said tell you what Lord there are all of these seats free in front of me but if you bring him and he decides not to sit in the free seat and there are lots of them and he sits right next to me, Lord, you have my word I will share with him. <laughs> and you know what happened. The guy walks in. He walks past all of these seats coming down the aisle towards me. What about that one? I'm thinking of that one. And he plonks himself right next to me. I go, oh boy. <laughs> my point is this. And I did, I shared with him the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My point to you today is, are you willing? Are you willing? Today we're going to talk about being a missionary in the marketplace, and that could be at university, it could be at school, it could be at work tomorrow. Now if you're a believer today, this Two sorts of people here today. Actually, three. There are those who are being dragged along by family or friends come here, and you're just kind of seeking. There are those who have stepped across the line and you've already been a Christian, but kind of like you lost your fire and your passion for sharing the good news. And there are those who are doing it. They're getting on with their mission. But today if you're here and you're saying, I'm not just a seeker, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ, can I say to you this unequivocally? You are on mission for God. For God. Not your boss, for God. That is your primary mission in life. Many of you have said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I'm going to tell you today by the authority of God's word what that is. Very clearly. Because the moment you give your life to Christ, He repurposes your life. Not to just get on with your own deal. Now we've been in a series on work, and we've looked at work as a place to, firstly, in the first week, to looked at how to grow spiritually at work. And then secondly, how to invest for eternity at work. If you didn't get that, pick it up. And, if, and then the third week, last week, how to minister to others at work. Today, I want us to look at work as a place to out, outwork your life mission. So, 
In Acts 20, verse 24, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up. And if you have um, the outlines, I would encourage you not just to read them, but to write on them as the Lord prompts you. Acts 20, verse 24, it says this. The most important thing, whoa, 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 this is important. The most important thing is that I complete my mission. What is that mission? The work that the Lord Jesus, who? Not the boss, the Lord Jesus gave me. So hold on, the Lord Jesus gave you and me a mission. What is that mission? What do you want to do with my life, Lord? Well, here is part of an answer, and it's a very important part. To tell people the good news about God's grace. If you are a Christian today, that is a major part of the reason why when you came across the line, the Lord left you here and didn't just take you to heaven straight away. That is a major part. So what is my mission in the world? It is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, again, Jesus, our Savior, the creator of the universe, the upholder and the sustainer, Jesus said to who? Who did he speak to? What does the Bible say here? Jesus said to who? His who? Ladder. His followers. Who are followers here? Let me see your hands. Followers. This is to us. This is up-to-date, relevant, eternal. Jesus said to his followers, you and me, go everywhere. Go to the universities. Go to the schools. Go to the workplaces. Go to Uganda. Go wherever. And do what? Tell the good news to everyone. That is our mission. Be careful because this can drift if we are not reminded by God's word. This is our mission. Not feathering our kiwi saver in our nest and making our life comfortable and luxurious and problem free. That isn't in the scriptures, friends. This is just the brief time before eternity. This is what we're to be about. So if you are a follower of Christ today, if you're one of those, Jesus, your master, your savior, wants you to go everywhere and tell everyone those two things, the good news. Go everywhere, tell everyone, circle those two, the good news. Then, of course, comes the question is, well, what is the good news? Now, the longer you are a believer, there's a very strange phenomenon which Jesus refers to. And that goes like this. The longer you are a believer, you and I tend to forget how really good the good news is. And if you're a seeker today, when I was first, part of that first group that I talked about, this will help you today understand why Jesus and therefore we, as his ambassadors, as an outstation of heaven, make such a big deal about this good news being really good news. So what is the good news? In a nutshell, why I matter? Number one is I matter to God. I matter to God. I loved this this week as I was reading this. It struck me afresh. 
I matter to God. Jesus picks this up in many places, but one of them, I'm going to give you a bit of background before the you outline your scripture. Matthew 10, I'm going to back up the, to verse 29. He says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? In other words, cheap, cheap. Very cheap. <laughs> what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. That shows great knowledge and care. Then, on your outline, Jesus says, God even knows how many hairs that you have on your head. Showing again great knowledge of great detail. But he even knows about that. It shows that he cares about that. And that to me is amazing that in this vast universe that God knows every detail of your life. And he cares about you as an individual. That's amazing. And so therefore, he says, knowing he cares, look at the implication. It's not in your outline, but it's the next verse in your Bible. Verse 31. What does he say? He says, so therefore don't be afraid. Because you're worth more than many sparrows. See, perfect love casts out fear. Now, because he's aware of everything that happens to sparrows, and because every, he knows every tiny detail about us, Jesus concludes that his followers need never be afraid. Never be afraid. As you know, many times through the scripture, he says, be anxious for nothing. But instead, by prayer and through supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Stress less. I'm in control, he says. So he concludes that his followers don't need to be afraid because we're so valuable to God that he even sent his own son Jesus to die for us. Now, we know that. But a lot of people that Glenn and Carlia and in your office that you're going to see tomorrow, they don't really realize that they matter to God. In fact, some of them are scared of God and they're avoiding Him. The second thing, part of the good news is, God made me for a purpose. He made me for a purpose. So I matter to God. First bit of good news. Second bit of good news. He made me for a purpose. Now, many people in this world don't realize that they're not an accident because they think they're a fluke of evolution, a random blip that just happened to happen. And without a God, that will be true. But there's a whole bunch of problems with that. We haven't got time to go into that now, but we will in the first quarter of next year. We're going to look at that in detail. Many people don't realize that God has a plan and a purpose for making you. And that God has thought more about your future than you've thought about your future. The Bible says here in Jeremiah, I have good plans for you. God has plans for every person. Not plans to hurt you. And he says, I will give you a hope and a good future. Boy, that is an underestimation, an under-exaggeration. A good future? Whoa. I has not seen nor ear heard nor mind conceived of what God has prepared for us. So God wants to make your life the best possible. 
Don't forget, this is not all there is. He knows what will make your life best more than you do. He says, one, you matter to me. Two, I have a purpose in creating you. Three, this gets to the guts of this. Jesus was sent to die for me. God sent Jesus to die for me. And the Bible says this clearly in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Look at this. Since our friendship with God was restored. You see, before it was broken. Broken by what? Broken by sin. Because like oil and water don't mix, sin and God don't mix. Because sin is holy. Uh, God is holy and sin is unholy. The two cannot mix. Broken. Now our friendship with God was restored. How? By the death of his son. While we were still his enemies. Whoa. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. See, this is the ultimate proof that God loves you. The ultimate. Because he sent his own son to die for you. Can you fathom that? I don't know many people who die for me. How about for you? But the Bible says God sent Jesus Christ to die for you to prove that he loves you that much. And say, I really care about you. That is good news. Fourth, fourth part of the good news is God actually will forgive me when I ask him. That's good news because we all need forgiveness. We've all blown it. We're all in the same boat because nobody is perfect. I've never met even the hardened, hardest, hard-out sinner has, has never dis disagreed with me on that point. I've sinned. I've, I've blown it. I'm not perfect. Mate, I don't even reach my own standards. When I'm painting, I will be a terrible painter for money because I'm, I'm sure I've got a bit of OCD. I just, I want to go, no, it's not right. I got to do it again. You ask my wife. <laughs> Takes me three times longer, I get a good job. But I don't even meet my own standards, let alone God's. We need forgiveness. And God offers it, and that's good news. Because most people don't think of God as forgiving. They think of God as the eternal policeman, the eternal judge that's going to snap them, waiting to judge you. That's why most people avoid God because of guilt. Now notice what the Bible says about this. All have sinned. I'm reading from Romans 3.23. All. That's, very, that's a very big word. All have sinned. But, and all fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet, uh-huh, now, God declares us not guilty of offending him. And this is a very big if. If we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness, that magnanimous kindness, freely takes away our sins. That is very good news. That you and I can be forgiven. Number five. This is a big one. That Jesus can heal my hurts. He can take those problems. I remember the agony in my heart when my dad left. I had a very big hurt. A huge hurt. The sense of rejection. An overwhelming sense of sadness. But yet Jesus came and filled that. And it was not a fickle love, it is a faithful, enduring, steadfast love. And with that comes healing. The Bible says this, I love this. It was one of my mom's favorite verses. He gives me beauty for ashes. 
when you're trashed, when your house is burnt down, when you feel like there's nothing left. He gives you joy instead of mourning. I like that. Who wants to go around, mm, that's a horrible feeling. You feel like you've got a bag of stones on your back. It's not nice. This is a nice one. Praise instead of heaviness. That's what he says he'll give you. Now many of you here today know what it is to have Jesus change your life and your entire outlook. Because Jesus is in the business, friends, of changing lives and outlooks and futures. Now one of the benefits of knowing God and trusting as a son is he will change your life. And boy, did he do that in my life. And he will heal your hurt. Number five, uh, Number six. My future can be secured. That's the sixth part of the good news. My future can be secured. The Bible tells us this clearly in Romans 1.17. This good news tells us God makes us ready for heaven. So hold on. You want to be ready for heaven? Well, you need the good news. And what is that good news? When we put our faith and trust in Christ to save us. It's not in my abilities or my good works. It's in what Christ has done. This is an amazing verse. God has already said, I will forgive your past. I will give you, a I will give you the power and a plan and a purpose to live for. And on top of that, I'll have a gift for you called eternal life. And this is yours if you accept Jesus Christ and trust him to save you. You have to accept it though as a free gift. All you have to do is accept it by accepting Jesus Christ. Now that is incredible news, but there's a catch. You know what that catch is? It is a limited time offer. It has an expiration date. Once you die, let me be really clear about this in case there's any confusion. Once you die, you don't get that chance anymore. It's over. And the logic goes like this. If you don't want Jesus in the short little 70 years on earth, why in the world would you want him in eternity? You'd want to be with Adam. If you want to stay with Adam here, that will be torture for you. It will be hell for you to be in heaven with him. Because you don't want it now, and he's certainly not going to force you. So it is a limited time offer. And if you want that gift, that is your choice. But I'm telling you this, you need to accept it whilst you're on terra firma. And God only knows, as my son found out not long ago when he was driving his motorbike, that can be taken for you like that. Don't presume on tomorrow. The bottom line is this. If God says, one, I matter to him. Two, he has a purpose for my life. Three, he sent his son to die for me, to cover my sins, and to show me how much he loves me and help me with my hurts and forgive my sins and I get a home in heaven, that is amazingly good news. So the Bible says it like this. Proverbs 15.30. I bet you haven't seen this verse before. Good news makes you feel better and your happiness will show in your eyes. Good news makes you feel better. Now, let's think about work. Do you know anybody at work who needs to feel better? Boy, I did. From the depth of my sorrow, in the middle of my pain, I needed some relief. And nothing I could find around me was helping. He's the only one that can give that. How about anybody in your neighborhood? 
or at your school or relatives that need to feel better. Friends, the good news, not only it changes your outlook, it'll change your future, and it will change your face. The two are hand in hand. That's why it's such good news. And God wants us to give that good news to others. You know, the great thing about our mission in life, our mission, your mission, if you're a Christian, is that we don't have bad news to share. It is good news. All the way home. <laughs> That's what the whole world is looking for. Number three. Why is our mission so important? Two quick reasons that your mission is absolutely critical. First is, I've been given a life-saving message. A life-saving message. It saves lives. For eternity. Now, let's read this from Colossians 1, 6. It says, The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world and is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. If Christ, put a semicolon there, if Christ has come into your life, your life will change. It's not just an intellectual change. It comes out everywhere. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Now, there are a lot of things in your calendar, if we whipped out your phone right now, in your plans that are coming up this week and next week. Can I say it clearly? That really won't really matter a hell of beans in five years. But your life mission is absolutely critical because it has eternal implications. If there are people around me at work, at uni, at school, in my neighborhood, who need the good news and I don't share it, it may determine whether they go to heaven or to hell. Because they may not have any other chance of hearing about it. It is not only time-sensitive, it is people-sensitive. The good news. Now, the greatest thing you can do for somebody else, bar none, you can help them financially, you can help them relationally, and they are all good things. You can give them financial counsel, you can give them relational counsel, you can give them parental counsel, and they are all good things. But most importantly, they need to know there's a place in Jesus Christ where they can have their sins forgiven, they can have a purpose for living, and they can have their future secured. Let me put it a different way to you. If you were to discover the cure for AIDS or some other incurable disease, but you decided to keep that cure to yourself. Well, the people next to you, working next to you, were dying of that disease. Do you think there'd be something wrong with that picture? Yet we do it all the time. We've got something far better than that. We've got something that will secure a person's eternity 
forever in heaven. And we walk past people every day. We pass their cubicle. And we don't take the time to tell them. And you can sense it when they're looking for it. Your mission is absolutely critical because if you're a Christian, you have been given this life-saving message. And if I don't share it, some will never know. Listen to the logic of this Bible verse from Romans chapter 10. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So far, so good. Then there's a big, then there's the word but there, and it's a very big but. But how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? First question. Then he drills it home further. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And then he says, and then third bullet, he says, how can they know unless somebody tells them? Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Sure. People are going to miss it. They're going to miss the good news if we don't tell them. Now, some people are bought into a myth that goes about this. Well, the people around me at work or at uni or my neighbors, they're kind of not interested in spiritual truth. That is a lie. Propagated not from God, but from the enemy and fanned by his team. Now, let me clarify a point of clarification here. They may not be interested in religion. Either am I. But they are deeply interested in spiritual issues of the typical five questions. Well, where did I come from? That's a question of origin. Who am I? The question of identity. Why am I here? Is there any meaning to life? Is there a purpose for life? Oh, they're interested in that. Doesn't matter whether they're an executive or an adolescent. And then how should I live? That's all the question about morality. Can I be forgiven? Can I even change? Because, boy, I've tried harder myself, and I'm not really winning on that battle. Will anybody help? Is there any power out there that can help me? Some people express it that way. And then, of course, there's the question. And I've noticed I was with a bunch of people the other day, and they're asking the question, is there anything after this? Where's my destiny? Is it just the graveyard where Kimberly and I were yesterday? Or is there something more? Everybody's interested in that. And it's a great way to start. Hey, what do you think happens after death? You can ask that question at the, at the right time. And we'll let them spout on. Interesting. People are interested in that. And that's good news. Jesus said this. You, speaking to his followers, will be my witnesses or a herald. A herald goes and tells and speaks. A witness is somebody who shares from personal experience personal experience and friends it a witness is more than just being a good example there's more to it than that that means sharing what happened in your life and nobody is a better expert in your life than you you're the only one that can witness about your life and God wants you to share the good 
news. So, how can I get started in my mission? How can I be a witness in the workplace? How can I be a missionary in the marketplace? Well, firstly, live and work with excellence. Live and work with excellence. The Bible says this in Philippians 1.27, Be sure that you live in a way, in such a manner, that brings honor to the good news of Christ. Don't be sloppy. Tardy. You and I have the greatest message in the world, but if you're not credible, nobody's going to listen. Now what makes you credible here for at work? How do you get credibility? Well, you can witness at your work by the quality of your work. This is one way of doing this. And Christians should be the absolute best employees anywhere. They show up for work on time, they don't steal from the boss, and they put in a hard, good, skilled effort. Because, friends, you are the Bible that some are the only Bible that some people will ever read. They may not read their own Bible, but they're gonna watch and they're gonna listen to what you say and what you do and the quality of your work. You are a living Bible. That's what the scriptures say. And one day, you're going to stand before God in heaven and he's going to say this to you as well. If you're a Christian, did you bring somebody with you? Did you bring somebody with you? You were given the greatest news and somebody cared enough and spent time with you to tell you, have you, on the other hand, cared enough to tell anybody else? Or did you act like an undercover agent rather than an ambassador where you had firmly planted the flag not in a, an aggressive in your face religious manner that is terrible but do people know because people are dying to hear the message and the eternity is in the balance that is God's truth sobering eh what we need are audio-visual Christians, people who show and tell. They show by their work, by their lifestyle, by their attitudes, and tell as well. You start by doing work with excellence, regardless of the job that you're in right now, whether you love your job or you hate your job or you're somewhere in the spectrum of that. You can start by doing whatever it is with excellence. And you're not there by accident. There are people who need to hear the good news right in your office. And work takes on a whole new meaning when you realize that it can be used for eternal good. And there are eternal implications. Because God has put you next to those people. You're light. By the way, I just want to pause a second. Some of you today may not be Christians. And you're very confused and it's almost like completely dark. You don't know which way to go. You're totally bamboozled. Is there a God? Is there a God? Ah, you're, you're arguing all that in your head. Can I suggest to you, if I've been caving, anybody been caving before? 
That's, you know, in the ground. Yeah, okay, caving. Imagine, because when you're in a cave, you know what the real word dark means. In fact, it's actually the absence of light is what I'm talking about. It is pitch black. But if you sit there, and you're not too far from the entrance of a cave, you're not too far down, even though it appears dark straight away, if you, ta- if you actually, if you look out the side of your eye, say, say the entrance is somewhere, out of this peripheral part of your eye, you may detect, much better than looking at it straight on, a very slight light. Now, if that was you, and you were in a cave, and you could just barely, imperceptibly, hardly detect a bit of light over there, and you wanted to get out of there, what would you do? You would move towards the light, right? So my suggestion to you, if you're a seeker today, and you're looking for the light, who is Jesus, move towards the light that you see, and he'll give you more light. Don't walk away the opposite direction. So work takes on a whole new meaning when you realize that it can be used for making an eternal impact for the, for the kingdom. But regardless of what you do, you can be a witness by the quality. So shoddy workmanship, doesn't matter whether you're a chippy or a plumber or a computer programmer or a statistician or a teacher, shoddy workmanship is a poor witness. That's why Christians should never cut corners, because people are watching you as representatives of his kingdom. Now, if you are credible, people are more likely to listen to your message. This is a big way it comes out. Your attitude can affect your mission at work. Let me give you for example. If you happen to be, or you've seen other people who claim to be ambassadors for Christ, but they're critical, money-grasping, complaining, griping, rejecting what the boss tells you to do and trying to undermine his authority, nobody's going to listen when you come along and say, hey, guess what? I've got some good news. They're going to go, right? Because so remember, your attitude is a witness too. So you start this by living and working with excellence. And maybe you're willing to go the second mile when people need it because they're watching. Secondly, you love and you enjoy seekers. If you want to fulfill your mission, imagine if Glenn and Carlia rolled up to Auckland University and they're kind of holding their nose whilst we're talking to these people. You know. <laughs> they wouldn't get the right warm impression, right? You've got to love and enjoy them. They can tell if you fake it till you know you're faking it. They want you to be interested to take the time to spend time, look them in the eye and connect. It's not kind of like, oh, bag that one, that's another one on my belt, another notch on my belt, and on to the next one. It's personally investing and enjoying those seekers. You've got to love people who don't know Christ. Yes, even those awkward ones. You don't have to agree. Let me tell you, on the university campuses today, some of the most aberrant lifestyles you could even wildly imagine are there. You do not have to agree with their lifestyle or even approve of everything they do. But you can love a person and see their worth and value them even so. 2 Timothy 1.7 The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be afraid of people. But... 
to be wise and strong and to love and enjoy being with them. If you stir up this inner power, you'll never be afraid to tell others about the Lord. See, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And I've heard that people say to me, this is uh, uh, something that you've got to work against, guys. I've heard people say to me, oh, I could wish I could work in an office, especially I knew this when I was working in the trucking industry. Christians there would say, oh, I wish I could work with only believers. No, that's not your mission. And in the trucking industry, every second word starts with the letter F. It does. That's just it. But you know what? God loves those people. They just haven't learned new words. We have to help them. God, listen, when Jesus went to some of those parties... Don't think for one nanosecond they all cleaned up everything straight away. Or he was light and he was salt, but he was there. He was there. He came into the world marred by sin. It wasn't perfection, pristine. It will be like the Queen of England. This is a very weird analogy, but the Queen of England going down a coal mine. That's about what happened here. He condescended to come to earth. He didn't, oh, they're not good enough for me. Their language isn't there. Morality's not right. He would never have come. That's why we need to be ready to share with those. You've got to love the people that you work with. If you have the attitude, I only want to be with believers, your mission on earth will be sabotaged because there's nobody around them to share the good news that is part of your responsibility to love and enjoy. Number three, be ready for opportunities to share the good news. The Bible says this, Colossians 4, make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. Be wise with all your contacts with them. You can almost use any situation to share the good news if you'll pray and be open. Now please hear me. I am not, repeat not, repeat one more time, not talking about pressuring people. Jesus didn't pressure people. He confronted, but he didn't pressure. I'm talking about when the opportunity arises and the Holy Spirit will let you know, which inevitably those situations will arise, you can let them know that they matter to God. He has a plan for life and he died for them. So you've got to show it and you've got to tell it. Now, if you're a great person at work, but you don't tell them, they might just think you're a good girl guide or a good boy scout. <laughs> you've got to tell them. That's why you've got to share. You can share with anybody if you'll be open and let God speak through you. Now, the Bible says this, work at bringing others to Christ. What does God want me to do? There it is. Work at bringing others to Christ. How do I do that? Well, next year, we're going to actually have a concentrated week-long workshop on this and I'm bringing two profs over friends of mine from North Carolina I'm going to be here when I share with the whole body of Christ in East Auckland they're going to come here and these are apologists some people who can help you answer some of the tough questions and in preparation for that on your communication cards right there I'd like you in the remaining few minutes to just write a few really tough questions that you've been dealt with at work that you felt inadequately able to handle whatever they are I don't mind what they are, but would you please help me to help the guys so then they come, we can start to answer these. I'll remind you next week, but if you've got any that come off your mind right now, write them down so we'll do that. They'll help to specifically build you up in this area. Now in the interim, last bit of homework. 
I want you to do this. If you're serious about this, because this is all of our missions, if you're a serious Christian, I want you to write down the names of just three people who do not know Christ, who do not know the good news. Now, by doing this, you're not promising to go talk to them yet, but three people who haven't stepped across the line yet and you care about, and you're going to see them in the next few weeks. That's the only other precondition. It may be a relative, a colleague, a uni student. Write their names down and start praying for them. And if you pray, God will arrange the right opportunity to talk to them. You do not have to pressure them. You watch what happens. But you have to listen when you pray and see what happens, how he brings up. It's amazing. It's great. Oh, you've got a partner in the Holy Spirit who does that. And he, he brings it together. We're just talking about sharing the basics of the good news. So when you get to heaven, you can answer that question. Is anybody there because you cared? This is serious business. And it is part of your life mission, God's plan for your life. And it's a secret of joy. And that's quite a sober note, guys, as we end this up. I've talked to so many believers who used to be on fire for God and had great joy. But they seem to have lost that. And a lot of it is because they're not giving out. They're just sucking it in. Sucking in podcasts. Sucking in teaching. Sucking in books. All the stuff. But they're not giving out. One of the ways you can unblock the log jam or the joy jam is that to, get, to get your joy back as a Christian and get that enthusiasm back is to lead somebody else to Christ. And see them experience that joy. The happiest people in the world are not those who are forcing themselves and others, but they're saying, God, I'm available to share whoever you bring across my path the good news. Will you say that to God today? God, will you bring me somebody? You bring them, I'll do the deal. Like me on that bus. I want to challenge you to become a missionary in the marketplace in your work. God has put you there. And every Christian is on mission for God. Just like every Christian has a ministry for God. You're not only a minister, you're a missionary. Would you say, God, I'm available. Let's pray. Father, when I'm at work tomorrow, help me to see these people through a new set of eyes. Lead me to those who are ready to hear the good news. Holy Spirit, give me a sensitivity to realize if they're stressed or uber worried or just worn out or bored or hurting or maybe even angry. Help me to sense that. Help me to realize that what they really need is the good news. Help me to care enough to share it, Lord. To take the time. Holy Spirit, again, help me to realize that the people that I work with really may not be interested in religion, but they are very interested in knowing where they're going after they die or the meaning of life. And Help me to share that good news this week. In your precious and powerful name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.